Hey friends, it's Jenna from underpaidclothing.com and welcome to another episode of the Hello, I'm Underpaid podcast. Um, super excited about today's episode. Today we're talking with Brian from Harborside Pizza. He's also known as Be Wild and he also raps and he's a real good guy. And in this episode, we get a bit of a business owner's perspective of being underpaid. He talks about how he treats his employees um, how he believes being underpaid um, reflects in the workplace. And it's real nice to get the perspective from a business owner, uh, especially a small business owner when it comes to being underpaid. So I'm super excited about today's episode. Um, don't forget to please, please leave a review on whatever platform you are watching this podcast and let's get into it. So yeah, how are things going with the whole situation right now? Hope you're doing good. Man, it's pretty crazy. Just... And everything. How's everything going? Well, thank you. Um, I think it's all right. My mom and my brother both think they had it. They didn't uh, weren't able to get tests or anything like that. Um, but my mom seems to be over it. My brother, she's out in Hampton Bay, in Long Island, actually. And my brother, he lives in Switzerland. And uh, he thought he had it too, but they it wasn't bad enough for a test. So he's over it also. Um, and up here... It's interesting because our little town is isolated. We, you have to take right now. You have to take an airplane to get here. You can't drive, or you would have to take a private boat. The, the, we used to have a ferry system that you can get from here to Whittier, and then you could drive up to Anchorage. Uh, but that's not running anymore. So there are no confirmed cases here yet. Um, I know that there are have been some cases that uh, weren't bad enough for testing in town. Um, and so we closed our business on March 13th, um, a little bit before the, the mandates and the recommendations came out. <clears throat> um, and I'm glad because we dealt with a lot of international customers. Uh, there's a Points North Heliski operation up here that brings in people from France, uh, Switzerland, Italy, all over the place. And they pack our restaurant. And it's a little small place. Uh, so I thought kind of we might have closed like a little bit later than we should have, really. But it doesn't seem to be in town super bad yet. But the canneries and the fishing season is just about to start. And they bring, you know, a thousand to two thousand people uh, influx to work at the canneries and work at, at, you know, all the fishing boats and stuff like that. So I just finished listening to an emergency meeting of our city council to try to figure out how to mitigate uh, the spread of the virus in our little town. And I mean, there, there's native populations and there's a lot of older people and things like that. And there's only, you know, two thousand people here. So, you know, if you lose even ten, you know, you know, almost everybody in town. And it's really hard to think about losing uh, either pop, like part of your fishing fleet or even any of the cannery workers that are coming to work. They're part of our community. And so we don't want to see, you know, anybody uh, get hurt by this, really. You know, and it, we're lucky because we have the ability to put some mechanisms in place to protect ourselves uh, with masks and the sanitizer and all that kind of stuff. And then additional uh, isolation methods and things like that, like tracking people who come to the airports, having uh, plans. The canneries have to submit a, a plan that's legally binding um, and enforceable in the medical staff here um they are going to be approving and, and making sure that the plans are being Im implemented properly so it feels good scary um you know and that's you know tying into being underpaid and and, and corporate greed this is a perfect example of uh you know there's a lot of different things to think about if you're a corporate like trident seafoods for example they provide seafood to the entire world so fishing is an essential business to provide food for the world uh if we don't fish you have extra biomass uh there's is nope. it um i i don't mean to cut you off but is it freezing up for you too or is it only freezing up for me oh um no it didn't look like it was freezing for me am i frozen now it might be me i could yeah you're back now it's okay, freezing okay. up it's just weird because it showed i had like full bars and everything but uh, we are in alaska i mean it, it's we're, we're far far away so maybe maybe there's a little lag uh if you didn't get yeah anything, i just or... missed i just missed the end of that so no worries okay um so let's see where were we oh the fishing and the canneries oh biomass and like there's implications or you know consequences for not fishing also um so do you put the priority of human life first and the you know protecting citizens of cordoba or do you put the economy and the corporations who do the food um you know and then it is it is world food though i mean you're feeding the world with the seafood that we produce here we're one of the top 12 ports right. for fishing in the entire country so like a lot of the world's fish comes from from here you know so but there's questions about markets uh there's lots of questions on whether it's worth the risk to open and to run a business like for me my pizza shop 
all the people walk from the harbor to my shop. And so you have that interaction. And if you're going to be in the lobby for a pickup only type of thing, uh, if it's airspace that you're concerned about, it's an eight by eight space. I mean, masks and the protections, you got to really wonder why you're using the masks and the protections in the first place. It's because there's something dangerous happening. So I'm choosing right now to protect my family and my friends and my community and wait a little bit and see uh, what happens. Our lender, okay. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, our, our lender who gave us the loan for the building uh they have given us a grace period of three months on our on our mortgage payment so we have three months to figure out how we're going to get back in business and back paying paying the loan back and stuff like that so yeah definitely that's good that's like the hard battle right now you know because um i love seeing the thing that i love seeing is that i feel like in most cases people are putting people over profits like there is like a small case of companies that are like putting their employees in danger and you know stuff like that but i think for the most part um companies have only been putting people over profits and doing the right thing and closing down and stuff like that um that's that's something else i was going to ask you about the restaurant because here what they're doing is a lot of restaurants are doing like takeout only so like they're still open but like you can't go in they'll like bring your food to the curb or whatever and right. or bring the food like out to your car and stuff so um but it's different everywhere um well, times off. yeah well they got those rules in place here too <clears throat> um as far as like you're not allowed to dine in anymore and i think i heard that anchorage is letting you sell to go beer and stuff like that whereas before if you were a, a convenience place like us uh, you'd have to consume on the premises um However, for our particular situation and a lot of other mom and pop shops out there, I'm sure, with schools being closed and no daycare, now I have a 15-month-old and a 7-year-old to make sure I keep safe also. That's an obligation. And so if they're at my shop and I'm running food out to the car or my wife is running food out to the car and I have a 7-year-old watching a 15-month-old while I'm answering the phone and cooking pizza, they're on super it takes 30 seconds for a kid to fall down and get hurt. And that's when you're oh, yeah. there watching, you know? So, like, if you're not yeah. actually watching... I'm not sure I can be forced into not supervising the kids properly at this time either. So there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's there are ways. We thought about constructing a box to put the food in outside so we don't have to even, uh, like, really touch anybody or have any, or even interact, really. But the, we get, like, 160 inches of rain here a year, and it blows 75 miles an hour for days on end. So, you know, dealing with the weather in cardboard boxes and food is, is pretty yeah, tough. Okay. So, so between the risk and the daycare, uh, right now, I'm just going to wait until we can find uh, somebody who agrees to the, the quarantining or making sure that you're, you know, uh, participating in the social distancing and not going to go to the grocery store and rub your hands all over everything or, or even the, the babysitter. Like if we hire a babysitter, right, and you're paying, I mean, I got the two kids, so it's probably about 20 bucks an hour. I don't know how busy it's going to be because they're telling everybody they're supposed to stay home, right? And so you're allowed, restaurants are essential, but in this town, the grocery stores are really the essential part. And I mean, I think it's kind of a luxury to get a pizza and a beer. You know, it's like a Friday night tradition thing, more of a, you know, I need this to, to, to survive type of deal. Mm -hmm. um, but if I can get a safe babysitter, I trust because the babysitter comes to my house after they've been someplace else and they don't have a good plan like wearing gloves or a mask and this people are getting tactical about this and you know it's pretty fascinating because the oil spill in 1989 the exxon valdez oil spill happened like pretty close to here and it affected our town really big um but as a result of that tragedy there's been uh you know there's a serves thing it's called um well it's called serves and it's uh an oil spill response mechanism training for the entire town and basically there's an incident command there's hot zones warm zones and cold zones where it's safe to go where no contaminated material is and they're basically trying to set the whole entire town up like it's a contamination zone and we've been going through trainings like this i mean they pay you 300 bucks a day so you know a lot of people jump on trainings to uh get the 300 bucks a day but for me i learned how to run hydraulic pumps and i know how to run a boomer or like a drop boom so you're protecting certain areas from the oil and all that kind of stuff so it's we're really actually pretty prepared to handle something like this um it's just so many unknowns about the virus and all that stuff so yeah i mean it sounds like every, it sounds like it though based on everything you're telling me like it sounds like it sounds really prepared so they're getting there. We have really good doctors also. Like one of the, the doctors that works with us is uh, like an epidemiologist and has uh, background in 
these kind of diseases. And the other guy that is the boots on the ground guy who's coordinating things in town used to be a military guy. And he used to set up ICUs in combat zones. And so, you know, for him to set up a like a, a separate place for people to be quarantined, if they if the city is being mandated to take people from the airport, put them someplace safe until they're not a hazard anymore, he's the person that's going to be building those facilities or to take care of people if there is an outbreak here. <clears throat> we have no ventilators and there's no ICU in our hospital. So you're looking at basically medevacking a life flight. Uh, you know, if we get three people at a time, you're overloading the life flight system. And that's for the whole state of Alaska. So... Oh, <clears throat> Yeah, the way we're here, I mean, if it, it literally, if only five people get sick, but they get sick in the same time, or within two or three days of each other, we're going to be uh, in a lot of trouble. They're, they want to fly people to Anchorage, but if the whole state has problems, the state of Alaska has only 1,700 beds uh, in their in their ICUs and in their, their hospitals for taking care of people. So we're really hoping that uh, the advance notice that we've had as, as a state and the precautions that people have been taking on their own uh, really go a long way to mitigate it. We don't end up with hot spots and, and large amounts of, of deaths. That's what we're really hoping for. But it's, it's yeah, scary. I hope so, yeah. Listening to the people talk, man, it's really scary. And people say you can't operate on fear, but I'm not really sure how you can operate uh, without paying attention to models and and logic, really, of protecting life and knowing a threat that's coming. It's not like, you know, if there's a Category 5 hurricane coming towards you, you evacuate. It's not like you wait until it's too late and then say, oh, we should have evacuated. You know, so it's kind of that that kind of deal. But I'm glad to see that people are taking it seriously, though, now. And uh, one of the things that bothers me is, like, the political rhetoric from one side to the other of, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, it's nothing. It's just a cold. It's going to go away. Um, you're crazy for wearing a mask and I don't have to quarantine or mandate mind your own business because at first I mean I saw people that were came back to town from hotspots Seattle wherever and they didn't stay inside for 14 days they came off their property you can go outside in your yard but you're not supposed to go in public places but I know I saw a lot of people out doing that so when I posted about that people were like oh now you're just pitchforking and gonna go for your neighbor and like you know we need love in this time and I'm like well tell that to the neighbor who's posing a risk by not doing what the mandates say you know, but there's no enforcement either and so you can call the cops on your neighbor and say hey you know they, they shouldn't be out but just today they passed a fine and they're now they put up a phone number so they are asking you to snitch on your neighbor if they're going out after the, the quarantine or whatever so it's getting interesting you know yeah they have that here too they just raised the fine from like five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars for not abiding by the social distancing rules and um right. I think the hardest part of everything is just like relying on other people to do the right thing. You know, it's like you can do the right thing all you want, but if the people around you are not doing the right thing, then, you know, it's kind of, you know, you can only do so much, but, um. So, well, and what they do, it ruins, it ruins all the work that you did, basically. So like, if I stay inside yeah, for 14 exactly. days and I'm really safe and I know that I'm good and I haven't touched anything and my restaurant's clean and all this, and then somebody comes and they walk within my, my distance or don't pay attention at the grocery store, like some of the stalkers were, uh, you know, kind of getting a little bit close uh, and, and not providing that distance. Uh, that, that's a, you know, that, that that's, that's an affront on what I've done <laughs> to try to be safe, you know. But basically what the rhetoric here is, uh, the people are saying, mind your business, do what you do, do it safe. You know, provide gentle reminders to your neighbors who are breaking the rules, like maybe call them or text them personally uh, instead of blasting them on Facebook or calling the cops. You know, yeah. take, a more, take a more, you know, serious, Sim more neighborly approach. approach. Yeah. yeah. So and, I, and I've had to I've had to put that in my mind, too, about just I can control what I can control. And that's me and my family and where I go and what I do. You know, by nature, restaurants are pretty clean. I, I have a sink literally four feet from where I stand all times. I probably wash my hands a hundred times a day when I'm at work. So, you know, really it's pretty clean there, but just for the perception of not wanting to lure people there, you know. And on the other hand, I've thought a lot about my employees too. Uh, this time I only have two, but my server, she's got two kids and the dishwasher, she's a high school student trying to go to college, wants to make some money. Uh, and so we were just, we had to adjust our hours uh, for, for the daycare thing in the first place. Um, so we were able to adjust the business model, fit the employees in there, and they were counting on us. And uh, one of them is on unemployment. I'm not sure if the dishwasher is on unemployment now or not. Um, but I feel a responsibility to them to keep them safe, to make sure mm -hmm. that, that I'm not going to provide an environment that's going to get them sick or ask them to do the dangerous job of walking the food out to the people or, you know, whatever. And so when we know more about it and we know who has it or who had it or who didn't have it, because you, you can get 2,000 tests and you can test everybody in town. And find out who had it and who didn't and then be theoretically you could have an idea 
of, uh, or a little bit more of a security of a feeling of safety um, and precautions like that. But I'm not really sure if we're going to get dine-in service back in, in the next year or so. I mean, I'm not even sure they're going to do school in, in September. Wow, that's, that's kind of crazy, all the unknown of everything, you know? At first, people were like, yeah, like, this may be a couple weeks, and now we're like a couple months, and, you know, it's like, see you in 2021, maybe 22. <laughs> yeah, right? Man, it's crazy. It's so all now. Actually, so your face to... Go ahead. I was going to say, Chris Wubby said that in his uh, free uh, his, uh, verse. See you in 2021, maybe 22. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> oh, man. That was a good one too. I like that. He beat me. He beat me to it. <laughs> Man. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, this this it's interesting because I started. I have a degree in social work. I went to college in Pennsylvania, and so I've been working in the service industry for you know 30, 30 years or so now. Uh, from farm stands to Carvel ice cream uh, to the the private private prison system. I used to be a maximum security treatment. Or I worked at a maximum security treatment facility for criminal males. <clears throat> okay. And so that was a state-run place first, and then so I actually watched the the manager of the state-run facility quit and open up a privately-run facility, and she was the CEO, getting a large salary for running this criminal uh, maximum security detention center. Uh, right. And it, it was fascinating because the state place had a reputation; they had good employees, they actually cared about treatment, they facilita facilitated treatment. You go to this other place, none of the people that were working there had a reputation. The facility didn't have a reputation. And you know, in a, in a criminal world, you get to a detention center or you know, you know this jail is white or this jail is hard or you don't want to go here, you don't want to go there. The place that I ended up working was a joke. And they hired basically like college football players without a degree in social work or, or a desire to help the troubled kids. Uh, they would hire them and they would end up starting fights. And so I watched that whole privatization thing happen and the lack of care, the lack of, of uh, therapy that was supposed to be going on to make these kids part of society again, right? Some of it wasn't their fault. Their family, their families were terrible. It came from gang neighborhoods. And in Pennsylvania, you have, you know, the hick, uh, rural, you know, largely uh, Caucasian, never seen a black person type of place. And you got inner city Philly, who, you know, your neighborhoods, people don't even, you know, it's a very, very mixed state of, of places. And you get all the people who do bad things in one spot. Um, it was an interesting ride. But anyway, I quit because they ended up telling me that I, I was making the caseworkers look bad because I was providing more treatment than they were. And the kids would be good for me. They wouldn't be good for the other people. And I was told to, like, ease up on the treatment, helping the kids and don't take their side. And so I quit right there and decided that restauranting would be a little bit better. I mean, it's stressful, but it's a better stress, you know, and I can I can help people through food instead of, you know, the the maximum security environment that I was in before. But yeah. And that's relevant today too, because now they're letting people out of jail who have small charges and very like little misdemeanors. They're letting them out so they don't pose a risk of getting it, or if they do have the virus, they're getting them out of jail. I find that to be fascinating too, that they're you know, take something like this to start to throw regulations out the door, or you know, give people the rights maybe that they really deserve, or you know, it's like we charge, you know, now they're just letting you go. <laughs> It's interesting. I feel like there's going to be like eight years of change and like eight months. Like it's um, it's kind of crazy. I mean, if you look at things like they were, you know, uh, I don't want to get too much into politics, but like, you know, they they were talking about how like how bad socialism is, but then now everybody now it's good because everybody needs the money. Everybody needs that four hundred dollar check, and right. it's like everybody needs healthcare and like people are losing their jobs right now and they don't have health care during a pandemic and it's like what are you gonna do you know what i mean yep. and yeah. um and it's crazy and um yeah we're not gonna get too political but actually bernie just dropped out of the race today too so like the only uh, candidate that was the only candidate that was fighting for universal health care is no longer in the race and uh yeah but um but yeah you basically answered my question without me even having to ask i was going to ask so like what motivated you to start harbors at pizza and all that so that's that's definitely interesting to know yeah moving from that and, and i worked for a few corporations like bobby jones down in florida they're a big big uh corporate chain <clears throat> and we managed to get the company is sloppy joe's yeah sloppy joe's yeah Ernest Hemingway used okay. to be there in key west or whatever and they've got it's, a, it's i think it's only in south florida i think they've got one in like, oh. miami uh oh. definitely key west in fort lauderdale oh it's uh, a restaurant 
Yeah, it's a restaurant. That, that's a chain. So I worked there for a little while. And uh, so you're supposed to get a review after six months. So you get a raise, right? They put me off for three weeks to get my raise. And I had to, I'm like, yo, hey, Dwayne, let me get that meeting, you know? Oh, next week, next week. And finally, I was like, no, this is the third week. Like, you're giving me my meeting. About a month past my raise and I could use that cash. Well, he finally gave me my meeting and told me he couldn't give me the dollar hour uh, raise that I had asked for. And we had gotten their ticket times down below 15 minutes and he, he got it to where I was running the lunch shift. So it was like two in the afternoon. It was kind of slow. We had some tickets though and I was banging them out all by myself. And that's when he told me he wasn't going to give me the race. So I took off my apron and I said, okay, just have your little kitchen job yourself. And I left, quit right there because he didn't pay me what I was worth. And it, I, I had tears in my eyes because I liked the job. I worked yeah. hard. I did well. I waited the three weeks extra, you know, to see about the race. And they still said no. So to me, that might have been his decision or it might have been the people above him. I'm not really sure if, uh, you know, my raise was his bonus beats me, you know. But anyway, it felt good and bad at the same time to quit that position. But when I got to Cordova, I realized the opportunity that was here and the bosses that I learned from in the restaurant business were awesome. They taught me how to do the best job that I could, take pride in all aspects of the job. And the, the owner of the business that I worked for when I was 15, he on the busiest night, he would give the dishwasher a beer and let him sit at the bar and he would roll his sleeves up and get in the dish bin and take care of the dishes. That was admirable to me. And so I always paid attention to that. And when we first started the business, I used to say, I want to try to be the boss that I always wanted to have. That's one of the things that I always try to stick in my head was try to try to be that person that I would want to work for, you know? And so that's what motivated me to start Harborside was the opportunity, uh, providing good food, knowing that I learned from people who were successful. And basically you have an agreement with the customer, whether it's a $9 special, uh, early bird special, or like a $42 filet mignon and shrimp. Uh, it's good service. Hello, how are you tonight? You get good food, prepared the right way. You get cashed out in a timely wet method and you get a thank you and come back again. That's the agreement. You give me money, I give you good service and good food. That'll keep the people coming back and it'll keep the business open. You know, and those, those are the two real foundations of what I tried to, to grow the business on over the last 13 years. That's amazing. That's Thank awesome. You. So did you just kind of see it like, well, I've worked at so many restaurants. I already kind of learned the way, like I learned from others. And you just kind of saw it like, like kind of like, why am I still working for an employer? Like I should just start my own thing. Is that kind of like how it went? Pretty much. And there was an, a, a place available to rent for a really low price. And so I was able to, I think it cost me, you know, a thousand bucks to get in the building. And then I had to place a food order and that was it. I mean, there was really not a lot of extra investing uh, that I had to do. Actually, I bought a truck for 600 bucks, I want to say, and we started a delivery business back then, 2000, 2006. Um, so it was really relatively easy with the space and there was a wood fired oven there. And so I was like, well, this oven is just sitting there. And I mean, I, I know. And so I, what I did was try to grab the best parts of each restaurant that I worked at in the past okay. that I expected, and then throw it together into the concept of what Harborside would be. So it's not a five-star place. I'm not even really a chef, but I've learned from chefs. I've cooked under chefs before. And so I've taken the things that I learned from them and apply that to the business. And I worked at some greasy spoons and some, uh, you know, places like that and applied the fast, fast service, what tastes delicious and all that kind of stuff. Um, then, the, then the pizza place, I worked at a pizza place in Florida for five years and they won best pizza in South Florida. So I took the pizza aspect and put that in there. And so basically it's like a little bit of everything. And then the design of the building too, that was off of the place that I worked at in Fort Lauderdale too. Um, and it's basically like right on the water. They got a 10 person bar and they got six tables and a pizza oven and a beer cooler. And that's basically what we got. So it works, it works pretty good. That's incredible. And how long have you been doing it now? Oh, uh, we opened Harborside Pizza in 2006, and that was at a little place that we rented uh, called the Lighthouse Inn. And then we operated that for 84 days, um, made some pretty decent money. Uh, we tried to ask the city to, uh, the landlord gave us a bad deal. So I did not let him take advantage of me. And I told him that I was going to go someplace else. And I did. I took my business away. And I asked the city to buy property. It took them about a year to decide that they wanted to lease the property. So I wrote a business plan, a 26-page business plan, and gave it to my mom. And she rearranged her retirement and gave me the loan in the first place to get the building built. Ran into some contracting issues. Uh, spent half my mom's money on architect plans and poured the foundation. Then I found out that the contractor was going to build the building, didn't actually have a license. Uh, so we got stopped in the middle and uh, I had to file an emergency plan to get the tra travel trailer built. So I built a 24 foot concessions trailer uh, from scratch, got an oven from Italy. They shipped it to California, put the thing together, drove it to Seattle and they barged it up here. 
I put the 24 foot concessions trailer on the foundation that we had built and I ran that business for nine years. <coughs> Pardon me. We, uh, <clears throat> at that point we applied for a loan. So the city ended up selling me the property. So I was able to buy the land and then a bank would entertain, uh, the, uh, like a loan so I could build a building. Went through three traditional lenders. They all said, yes, yes, yes. All the way through the point where you pay for your environmental review and the non-refundable loan application deposit, but basically like seven grand every single time you try to apply for one of these loans that you don't get back. And you don't get to use the environmental review for each loan. You have to get a new one for each one. Um, so basically on the fourth one, we were finally uh, able to get them to approve it. We opened up our sit down building in 2016. So, okay. Yeah, nine years in a 24 foot box doing to go only, go figure. And then three years later, we're in a pandemic, and now it would be great if I had a little box that you to go only in, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, you did that. <laughs> it's interesting oh, the way things day. work out like that, right? It's kind of crazy. Some, sometimes. And now I'm like, re, maybe I'm retooling the whole entire business concept of, of how to make the food that's the best to sit in a little box and wait for people to come and pick it up. You know, pizza's good for that, but you know, I don't know. It's the, we have a large variety on the menu, and so I think that trying to continue with the menu that we have isn't going to really work for for that style of takeout. But we're going to adapt. Yeah, to small businesses do. That's that's the best part of working for yourself is being able to analyze your situation, make the decisions uh, of what you want to do, what's best. You think about your customers, your family, your business, yourself. What's feasible? What's not feasible? and then you go forward with a plan and that's that's it's hard and it's a headache but at the same time you get to choose it and so i feel lucky that there's not somebody saying hey go to work you know you're, you're going to be the only one but you got to go there and be around the virus or take your chances you know it's, you got to pay i got to pay my bills it's true but i think everybody's in the same boat right now with that and i have a feeling that uh if there's mandates in place and they're going to be forgiving mortgages nobody's going to get kicked out of their house right yet uh, I, I i hope that people can just be patient enough to get it to the point where everybody can open again and and then we get back to real life because I don't like thinking about not having dining service anymore in the world like what the hell is that this is, this is you know you go to restaurants to go out to eat not to go pick it up to go I mean that's exactly that's yeah <laughs> people people are and people are ready to go back to eat it's just we can't get you know so um I think that when people are ready, I mean, I think at first maybe people are going to be a little bit scared. I think it depends on the region too. Like if your area stays with like no cases at all, like if people probably will be like ready to like go back out when they're told they can. So yeah, you're well, right. That's like, I'm afraid of yeah. here since, since there's no cases here, I think people will be ready to go out now. And that's what I'm afraid of people coming to town and you're yeah. supposed to be on your boat for 14 days. But yeah, you know, it's just a little walk over to the harbor. I'll just grab a quick pizza. I don't even want to be the person to be like, you shouldn't be here. You know, I, that's because it endangers my employees. It endangers my family. It creates a social situation that I don't want to. I'm not the police. I'm not that. Person. Oh, no, I'm, I hear that. Yeah, I'm doing what I'm doing. And if that guy's going to break the rules, I'm going to let the enforcement do that job and not not me. And that's one other thing, too. We're a busy pizza shop. If we have 10 cars, I mean, because on a Friday night, it's going to be busy. I would sell 100 pizzas on a Friday night, you know, and so um, even 10 people at one time all it takes is one person to show up a little early or a little late you know for the pickup and then you've got people in the parking lot maybe they're going to want to try to stand by the door and i just don't want to end up with a big gathering or confusion over the food or you know you got to sanitize the space you leave the food in now and like then i got to think about my kids and so yeah <laughs> i hear you there <laughs> yeah Great. So tell me about um, your rap career. Like, what got you into rapping? And what, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So to be honest, I've listened to hip hop and rap ever since I was in like sixth grade or so. My first tape was Wu-Tang Clan and, uh, and a trap called Quest on either nice. side. A little bit of Cypress Hill in there, too, around around that time. And I called it a tape, so I'm probably aging myself. <laughs> you know, um, I used to make tapes, too. So. <laughs> yeah, right on. Awesome. <laughs> I love man those mixtapes. I used to remember listening to the radio and waiting to hit play and record. And you can record song, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. It so sounded guy, so bad, but yeah. <laughs> it's true. You sometimes didn't get the beginning or the end. Yeah. yeah. So this uh this fisherman, I was at the anchor bar one night with my friends, getting a little drunk, and uh, I was out back, and uh, my friend come running out. He's like, "Hey, this guy's in there. He wrote a poem about your restaurant being closed." And I'm like, "Oh, who is this?" And oh yeah, he ranted and raved. It was like five minutes long. Huge exaggeration. Ended up, I didn't know who it was and ended up going back to the shop though for like two weeks. 
thinking that somebody out there made a poem about my shop being closed and it was this big long thing is that a fisherman's poetry gathering so there's a lot of people at the bar so then like i started writing little rebuttals about uh you know why i closed my shop you know so the first the first ever rhyme was um so here's a couple reasons why I closed. To fix my house and wash some clothes. Plus, you never know what type of mold will grow when the rotten wood's exposed. So your commercial washer will explode. Sometimes my emotions get <laughs> to the point where they start to overflow. So I got to know when I got to go. So I can come back tomorrow and keep going some more. Ring, ring, hello. Is your refrigerator running? No, it's not. Actually, it's hot. And all the food that I had has begun to rot with little blue spots. And so I had to close the pizza shop until the problem stops. That was my little first, my first rebuttal to that guy. Um, then I found out who it was. And his name is Mike Mickelson. He's a pretty famous bluegrass guitar player, actually, who um, has won some awards traveling the state with a bluegrass band. And uh, turns out it was one line in the poem, and it really wasn't five minutes, and it really wasn't all that bad. Um, he actually brought it into the pizza shop and let me read it. And so over time, I kept on developing rebuttals to his little little poem there, and I'd run it by him. And you know, it ended up, I just kept going, writing them on paper plates, and I ended up with like 28 paper plates of, uh, just different rhymes about pizza and you know business and fishing and how fishermen are the same or how like i'm, a, I'm the the captain of my restaurant and how we're the same about like captains and owning your restaurant and, like my restaurant's like a boat and i run my boat this way and they run their boats this way and you know <clears throat> that kind of stuff and every every pizza that i make is like a fish that they catch and uh, stuff like that and so over time I, people started asking me to do them to beats so i started looking up beats that's how i met rj payson online and uh yeah so i bought some exclusive beats and started to try to put them together and formulate and organize the songs a little bit better instead of just one 28 long 28 page long uh little poem type of thing and i broke them out into different songs and probably got like 12 or 13 songs that i'm going to try to put on the album eventually um honestly homeschooling and daycare is very exhausting and it's basically from like six in the morning until nine at night and so I thought during this quarantine time I'd have some time to jump in the studio and make a little bit more music, but uh, I'm mentally tired from trying to figure out how to run the business and watch the kids and keep them safe and all that. But it's a good outlet though, and I'm writing more. I wrote a little bit about uh, you know uh, how I used to be able to just clock in, go right to the walk-in as soon as I walked in, but now I'm at home feeling locked in, <laughs> taking precautions. <laughs> Society's making me nauseous. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So that's how it began, and I just started to run with it, and I've been starting to do open mic nights and stuff like that. And um, most recently, I was approached by the radio station guy for uh, advertising. So I decided to do two ads a day on his station, and for the price of that yearly subscription, he was willing to throw in $2,500 of video production. And so we made the first video, What's for Dinner? And oh, okay. uh, his skills were off the hook. And so he's, he's, he's all like, I think 22 or 23 years old. Um, and his dad owns the radio station. He's the, the news guy up in Fairbanks now. So um, Robbie came back down here to run the radio station from Cordova instead of running it digitally from, from Fairbanks. And so he's done a great job of reorganizing everything. And he's hooking me up with promotions. He actually put what's for dinner on the radio station too. So oh, okay. as, far as, as far as being, I'm pretty stoked as far as an amateur rapper getting a video it's got 1200 views and i got a song on the radio and uh, i got open mic nights and stuff like that so uh it's pretty good and i've been trying to work on getting a slot at the salmon jam but i think it might be canceled this year unfortunately it's the annual music event that we have in our town sponsored by the arts and pageants uh i guess it's a division i'm not sure arts and pageants club or something like that um but they have big names that come up and i was actually trying to get 30 up here uh 30's a, a young rapper from massachusetts um I highly recommend listening to him. He's probably my favorite rapper right now. Um, and we actually okay, have what's it? Uh, 30, just three zero. And uh, you can find him on okay. I am 30 music here on Instagram if anybody wants to go check out some dope music. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. But, so hopefully I get back in the studio, we get another song coming. I'm actually in the middle of shooting a music video. We were supposed to have the group shoot the night that all the stuff started hitting a fan here and everybody canceled because they didn't want to be close together in the restaurant. So. We have like three scenes filmed so far, but we still have probably a couple more days of video shooting to do before that was going to be ready. And I don't know when that's going to be now, but so. Yeah, can't wait to see it though. That's awesome. Well, thanks. So I want to know, um, just kind of curious, as a, um, as a business owner, what do you think of um, like the $15 minimum wage and stuff like that? 
Um, I was kind of curious to get like a business owner's perspective that like doesn't have employees yet to like a business owner who does have employees. So I was kind of curious, like what you thought about that. Like right now we're in such an interesting spot where like so many businesses are like struggling and stuff. But the workers that like, I see like the workers around that like supermarket workers and like uh, food service workers who are still going to work at the moment who are like deemed essential employees are probably really have to be like really scared right now, um, you know. Um, so I was just kind of curious what your take on, on that was. Well, I think it, it, it's interesting and I'm, I've been on both sides of the coin too, uh, as far as wanting yeah. to get 15 bucks an hour and, and feeling like I work hard enough to ask for 15 bucks an hour. Um, and, and now that I'm an employer, I've also watched people try to do dishes with one hand while they're on their phone. Right. And so, mm -hmm. and, and I have to pay straight up. I pay my dishwashers 12 bucks an hour. That's the least I can get away with paying a dishwasher up here. Um, and so then they get tipped out by the front of the house. Also it's voluntary on their end, but the dishwasher really helps the front of the house out a lot. And so, you know, in the end you're making 15 to 17 bucks an hour as a dishwasher um, with the tips and in, in my situation, what makes the job worth 15 bucks an hour? I'm not really sure if it's the inherent uh, skills you need for the job or if it's if it should be more based on what your cost of living is, if it's the area and where you are doing that job. Um, you know, dishwashing work is dishwashing work, period. If you're either going to have a large volume of dishes to do or you're going to have a smaller volume, but you're still washing dishes. And so, uh, you know, granted, the dishwasher might put it away. You might be in charge of stocking things, folding boxes, doing other parts that are, isn't just dishwashing. Uh, but it's an essential part of any business, any restaurant who's busy at all, hey, who preps things that need to be cooked before these giant stacks of dishes waiting for the dishwasher when they come in in the morning or the afternoon or however the restaurant does it. I would say you should take care of the people who take care of you. Really, that's that's the moral thing. And so should everybody get 15 bucks an hour? Maybe. But if you make 16 bucks an hour right now and they make your $12 an hour job 15, what happens to the $16 an hour guy? Because your $16 yeah, an hour guy, is it is it a shift all the way up the board? You know, does your front of the house I manager get $3 more too? Like is 18 not enough for a manager job now? Or like, that's what I see from a business owner perspective is if the job is the same and the work is required is the same, uh, what was a $10 an hour job, if now it's a 15 or a 12, is now it's a 15. I looked up pizza makers in Anchorage they get hired for $13 an hour, but I can't hire a dishwasher for less than 12 because nobody in this town will work for 12 bucks an hour or less than 12 an hour. But, and so likewise, no pizza maker is going to walk in and take 13 bucks an hour. I mean, that's like 15 to $18 an hour. That's the start for, for what I'm talking. So, you know, I'm willing to go above. My personal philosophy is go above first and then make the carrot big enough for the people to want to do the work, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. um, but that's something too. I think as an employer, you need to make it so that people want to come there and how you have to have the moral high ground to uh offer raises uh provide a structure for advancement um you know you can say well we might start you at 13 now but in three weeks when you know what you should be doing if you increase the speed if you do this if you're proactive if you're extra clean whatever we'll talk then you know that's that's the way i think I think it could be. If you want to start the base at 15, that's fine with me. I think it should be. People need to be able to pay their rent, get the mortgage. Now you need a phone, your internet, you got to have all that stuff. Uh, back in the day, it was like, I want to, you either bought a car or you worried about shoes. Now there's like way more things to, to be essential in this world. Like, you know, uh, headphones or, you know, yeah. you know all, all the things, laptops. I mean, it's not, it's, it's way more than I had to try to worry about when I was, you know, up and coming either in high school or just graduating college, you know. And here's another thing too, as a social worker, I literally wiped people's asses for $9 an hour. Literally. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, like I worked with developmentally challenged adults in a group home and I got paid $9 an hour. And so... Uh, to take care of people, yeah, to take, take care, care of people's like, yeah, yeah, somebody's grandma, you know, grandpa or like whatever. And these people can't take care of themselves. And so... Mm -hmm. I think that job should be worth way more than $15 an hour, you know, or, or at least 15, definitely not nine. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, so, definitely not nine. Um, the same thing with restaurant workers too. It's a stressful, hard environment. It's busy. It's long hours. And there's really, there's no reason to force that on the people. And if you do, maybe you should pay more people more money and spread it over the time. I, I, I don't really know. I guess it, it, it probably depends 
I think restaurant people would have more retention if you paid people more. You get better performance, you would get uh, loyalty, they would care about your business or the reputation. For a corporation even too, I would be proud to work for a corporation that took care of me. Going up to it. Oh, you still there? I'm back, yeah, sorry. All right, good. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> so I think... I think that would be a way for everybody to make a little bit more money would be to invest more in the people who make the money for you. But on the other hand, you get a lot of restaurant people. I mean, it, like I said, it doesn't matter if you pay them $12 an hour right off the bat to do dishes. I still catch the people on their phone with one hand trying to go smoke weed in the parking lot with customers when they should be back there. And I need, I need a, a pan or something. It's like, why should I pay that person 15 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour, or at all, if you're not going to be working or uh, cigarettes, for example, you want a five minute break every hour uh, and you work eight hours, I'm paying you for 40 minutes to go outside and smoke when I really only have to give you a 15 minute break every four hours. You know, like if legally the breaks are 15 every four hours or whatever it might be. So I, I don't really know. I think, I think the people if you want 15 bucks an hour, you got to be able to do the work for it. I think that you should be I invested in the job yeah. and take pride in whatever it is, whether it's the toilet you're going to clean or if it's going to you're going to plate, uh, you know, a five star plate of food for, uh, you know, Bobby Flay's restaurant or whatever. It, you should still take the same amount of pride in whatever it is that you're going to do. And that would make you worth more. That's how you realize your your profit, your potential. And I tell them, mm -hmm. you, you, you might not even have made the mess. The dish pit might have been dirty because of somebody else, but now for the next eight hours or 10 hours, it's your dish pit. So you want to look at the dirty mess, you're going to feel dirty and messy. If you clean it, you can feel good and clean that you did something to improve your environment. These were all things I picked up from my bosses back in the day that would tell me as motivator, you know, hey, take pride. This is your section now. I might own the place, but you're here for eight hours. You know what goes on and you actually make the food and you're the reason that people come here during these eight hours. And so I was like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. I will make that clean. And it's not because you told me to. It's because now I feel good about me doing my job. And that makes me able to say, hey, Eric, hey, boss, I think I deserve that extra dollar an hour now. Look, here's what I am bringing to the table. Here's what you asked. Here's what I'm doing. And here's where I'm going to, here's what I'm going to be doing. And this is why I want that extra money, 50 cents, a dollar, whatever. You don't negotiate. And I think a lot of employers actually would respect that if more people put the investment into themselves, did what they asked, went above and beyond, it worked hard, and then said, I'm a valuable asset to this team. Show me that by giving me a raise. You know, I think that's, I respect that a lot. And I tell that to people too, when they work in the shop, I ask what motivates them. Sometimes people go, I just want enough money to go to the bar at the end of the night. Okay, that's a goal for you. I can help you with that goal. If you want to try to save money for a house, you know, I know that that person's motivated in a different way and a little bit more, more uh, goal driven, you know, but yeah, I mean, I don't know where I was it's, going it's, with that. <laughs> no, no, it's interesting. There's so many things I wanted to, uh, you brought up so many good points there. And I think part of, there's such a debate going on right now, like in this country with that and like with the upcoming elections and everything about like if the federal minimum wage should be raised to $15 an hour. And I think part of the debate is the people who oppose it see these workers who are now deemed as essential, uh, most of them, but they see somebody who works at like a restaurant or in like a grocery, ringing up groceries at a supermarket. They see them as that employee who like is ringing up a customer with one hand and texting with the other hand, you know, texting their friend with the other hand. And like, there might be a lot of them, but why not raise the minimum wage to, I mean, my, my view is like, why not raise it to $15 an hour? And then if that employee doesn't want to work, isn't doing their job and isn't worth $15 an hour, they're not going to have a job, you know? If, I agree uh, with that. You know, if, if you spend all your time texting on the phone at work or whatever, and then they learn a lesson that like, when I go to work, I actually have to work, you know? Um, so that would, that was definitely a good point. And, um, the, with negotiating your salary a hundred percent, like I actually didn't know for a while. Um, no one ever really told me that negotiating salary was a thing. I didn't really know until like later on into my career. 
And I did, I did just that. I went up to, uh, well, I talked to my boss about it and we came up with, um, you know, like all my responsibilities when I was hired and then all my responsibilities now and compared it and was like, wow, like I'm taking on a lot more things than I was when I was hired. So I was able to use that to negotiate a pretty significant raise. I was pretty happy with it actually. And yeah, and like, I didn't know that was a thing. And I feel like a lot of other people don't know it's a thing either, or they know it's a thing, or they're like too scared to ask, or they think they're going to get fired yeah. if they ask and stuff like that. So it's definitely- The thing um, you can say is no, you know? Exactly, yeah. And then you can make a choice whether you want to stay or not, you know? <laughs> exactly, and then all those things that you wrote down that like, like um we basically wrote out like a resume style list of what i'm doing so it's like if you don't give me that like we didn't say this but like if you don't give me that raise like what's stopping me from taking it putting it on my resume and go finding a job somewhere else so yep. hit on so many great points you know about knowing your worth and just you know like how you were telling me how you just walked out of that job that wouldn't give you a dollar raise like really a dollar like they couldn't right. afford they couldn't afford that you know right. to keep you and then there's they end up spending more money training and like training a new employee than keeping you who actually brought value to the company you know i agree that training and i this is something i've really learned in my own business here what's up josh by the way my friend josh from hampton base is on here what's happening josh oh, hey, <laughs> he works at the hampton made in long island too he's a lifelong restaurant person as well oh nice <laughs> yeah yeah this is my son Roro. He's here with me now too. That's okay. Good. How are you? Okay. <laughs> Just in from a bike ride. Oh man, where were we? Uh, oh, I think that managers and owners should provide the culture to make people want to be a part of the team, and by giving them the fifteen dollars an hour, if it was a minimum, and that's the place to start. That you could develop that culture and get. I mean, I'm not sure if it, like squeeze the, the, the work out of somebody is the right word, but you could probably make people excited enough about working for your business and for you and doing, you know, helping you, in my case, it would be helping me run Harborside. You can make them excited enough about that, that you could pay them 15 or $16 an hour and probably end up getting $16.50 or $18 an hour worth, worth of work. If you were polite, you listened to their needs, you responded, you know, you didn't try to lowball either. That's part of the problem I have with uh, specifically my Cisco representative. Uh, they work on commissions. So they're not gonna tell you the lowest price that you can get on say cheese. But then all of a sudden I go to Costco and I look at Costco's cheese prices and it's $11 for five pounds. And Cisco is trying to charge me 15.75. And then I say, okay, well, Costco is cheaper. And they say, oh, well, I can just cut it down to 12 bucks, you know, instead. And I'm like, okay, so I've been paying fifteen seventy five for a year, and now because I ask, you can just say, okay, now it's twelve. You know, that's corporate greed to me right there, and they should be looking after me as their customer in the first place by trying to give me the lowest price and not having me play games on trying to get the best price because that directly affects how much I can pay my employees, whether or not I can afford bonuses at the end, you know. But that's all. It's it's an interesting trickle down of uh, you know. Who makes the money? Who's entitled to the money? You know, as an employer, I need people to help me run my business now because I'm too busy to do it by myself. Mm -hmm. A corporation, and so I feel I feel like I'm lucky to have employees. A corporation, it seems like, oh no, they're you're lucky to have a job. So we're going to pay you ten dollars an hour, make you work in hard circumstances, do overtime, try not to pay you for it, uh, and if you speak up about the sexual harassment, we're going to fire you. You know, like those. That's that attitude and culture needs to change. It really does. If you want to get people to be productive, you can't try to take advantage of them completely all the time and then yell at them for when you feel taken advantage of. Like that's, it, it doesn't work. I don't think it works. That's been my mentality the whole time because I've worked for so many toxic work environments like that. And like, I'm the type of employee that like, I will do a good job no matter how shitty I get treated. And it's just kind of weird. Like, it's just like, I like doing it as a job. And I've had that at so many companies I've worked at, like, um, where it's just been a re revolving door and they would rather, they, they see it that way. Like, well, we'll just go find someone else for, you know, whatever minimum wage we're going to pay. And, uh, 
All right, we're back. Got cut off right there. Um, herbicide pizza should be here in a minute. But, um, yeah, never done this live thing before. So I didn't really know that Instagram apparently cuts you off after minutes. I think we've been live for an hour now. So I didn't know Instagram does that. But, all right, we're back. We're back. But, um... Lost my train of thought a little bit, but I think I remember I was talking about like how, you know, you work for. What was I? Where was I going with this? Um, it's a revolving door. Like people, like they would just fill the spot again for cheap or minimum wage, and not really care about your investment in the business or like your seniority or your ability to, you know, help them continue succeeding when you feel exactly. like you, yeah. you, you've done a good enough job to get that money to where you're worth them paying you more to help continue the success. <clears throat> and it, it is, a, it, training people is extremely expensive. I mean, because you need, for me, if I'm training a pizza cook, I have to verbalize and show and demonstrate every single thing that I'm doing. And then I have to babysit somebody to make sure that they're doing it the right way. And with a wood-fired oven, you can burn a pizza in four seconds. And so like, if I'm like, hey, spin that, and the person doesn't spin it, I have to run over really, really fast. And so it's it's a long, intense process. And to find out in two weeks that they want to quit or it's just about the one paycheck that they want to get, um, it really actually pays to make the carrot big enough for the people to want to get through the first couple of weeks of hardness, of learning the job, learning the expectations. That's part of it too, a clear communication of what the expectations are is it goes huge then you don't have the one-handed dishwashing stuff because that's that's a clear expectation of something that i don't expect to happen and i i uh fully will like to line out that if you are doing that behavior i'm going to say something to you about it and it's not going to be a good thing and so lining up the expectations for what you're doing for the money you're getting is definitely an important thing you know, I like agree. Even, so if i'm yeah. gonna, if i'm if i'm going to ask my dishwasher to fold boxes that's not a dishwashing thing but if i tell them in the beginning you're going to do dishes and when it's slow for you in the dish pit you're going to help with boxes and stocking and cleaning and this and that it's not going to be standing around waiting to scrub a dish you know that way they feel like they're part of a team and they're actually helping me more and so that's and the expectation is made clear in the very beginning with the good communication yeah i agree 100 percent because i've worked for so many toxic work environments and even though i am an employee that likes to do a good job even when i'm not treated right there is a certain point where you hit that point where you're like, what am I working so hard for these people for? They're treating me like crap. And especially the type of business that you're in, you know, your employees are not happy. That's going to show through to the customers. And then the customers are going to be like, God, I like went to that pizza shop over the weekend. And like the employees were nasty to me. Like I'm never going back there. And then these customers, and it's, it's just, it's, it's just, I wish that more of these giant corporations mostly are the ones that, I wish they would just realize that it pays to treat your employees right. Like they'll do a better job. I think um, Costco is a good example. Like from what I've read up about Costco, um, I've heard that you know they treat their employees right. They realize that they realize that paying their employees right is going to get them to do a better job. So they've always been an employer that has paid above minimum wage, and they realize like they're a booming business like they're doing great and you know it it pays to to pay good for some reasons like you said like you know training people takes money um like it pays to have somebody who treats the employees right because then the employees want not the employees the, the customers right because then the customers want to come back and it's just to me, it's a win-win, but I don't think that a lot of uh, giant corporations see it that way. Like, if you work for, like, Walmart or something, they're treating their employees like crap, and it's just, uh, it's crazy. It is. And I see, you're right about the, it, it's, it's, they're as good as the management. So if there's something, if the employees aren't getting along, and you see a conflict, or they're not treating each other nicely, or you see employees treating customers that way, that goes all the way to the manager and then it goes to the person who's above the manager if that's the owner or, or a supervisor it's on them because they are creating that culture they're allowing those things to happen they're not putting uh steps in place uh to to try to make sure that um you're having the better communication putting the best foot of the company forward and that's uh really i think especially at harborside pizza 
I have to watch it for myself. I have an open line so everybody can see what I'm doing. And when it's busy, I'm from New York and you know, restaurants are stressful. That's why there's a kitchen in the back and you know, there's the whole front of the house, back of the house type of deal. So I have to watch out for that about how the perception of how I treat my employees is and things like that and the customers too, because you want them to come back. But if you have the manager setting examples and leading by their example and actually putting it into play instead of just pointing fingers, uh, it really goes a long way in, in uh, getting that healthy culture out there. And when you have a healthy culture all the way from the top, all the way down to the bottom, everybody's happy where they're at, what they're doing, where they're going, you know, because you don't, you don't really necessarily want the person who's just a stalker now to stay a stalker for their whole life, especially Costco. You might want to have these people stay in your company, move up, understand the company. The longer people work for your business, the better they're going to understand the needs of what the boss wants, the needs of the customers, the, the more cohesive and beneficial it's going to be to everybody. Really. I, mean, I agree 100%. It's, uh, yeah, because um, that's another thing I realized from all the jobs I've worked for. Like when there's no room for growth, like like you said, when like a stock uh, when like a stock person stays like stock in shelves forever, or like a dishwasher stays a dishwasher forever. Like I feel, when you feel like there's nowhere for you to go in the company too, like I feel like that's another like reason to just not stay. You know, so um. I think you hit it on point with everything you said as far as like how to treat your employees right and, well uh, if, you know if, the, if 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 I, I like to try to check in with my employees when i hire them uh you know during that first week when i get to know them a little bit i ask them what motivates you what do you what are your goals what do you like to do what are you trying to do why are you working here you know like besides like why do i highlight why do they why do i think it's good for them to work here why is this a fun place to work um also like why are you working do you, is it just for the money or is there something um, do you want to work in a fun place? Do you like restaurants? Are you interested in learning cooking? Do you not have the skills? But if you do, you, oh, you're, you're only getting in. The, you really want to be a prepper, but you are starting at the dishwasher positions in hopes of advancing. Like these are the questions that I ask. And if the person is there just to make money to make uh, two months of rent or to work for the summer, I can help with that. Like knowing what the person is going for and helping them get there is definitely something that I try to pay attention to and try to make sure that I, I help my employees do like one of my server who ended up uh now that we're close we're she's on unemployment for us but she's trying to get her own business started as well she came to me and said hey i want to open up a food cart and uh she right now she does um ferments shout out rachel um she does uh a company called darling's ferments and she makes sauerkrauts and all different kinds of stuff and packages it up and sells it at the local grocery store um she also brews kombucha she was brewing the kombucha at harborside um and we were selling it there um and so she has all these creative things and she had a goal of starting uh, a food cart pretty much, but um, she decided to not do the food cart idea. And there's a place in town that's gonna open up with, uh, basically they custom build you a space. And so she's gonna start a little space where she's gonna sell uh, sliders and hot dogs with her ferments on top and stuff like that. Hey, there's Rachel now, what's up Rachel? I was just discussing uh, providing opportunities and supporting people's goals <laughs> when they're an employee for you, so. Um, yeah, nice. yeah, give her a shout out. <laughs> yeah, what's up? What's up? So she is hopefully still going to be able to progress on on getting into her little spot and running her place also. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm proud to be a stepping stone for her to be able to get to a place that she wants to be. And if I can help, I'd be more than happy to help. So I think it's a that's definitely a good thing when you're a small business. If if the corporations and things like that would try to help people achieve their goals as well and be in tune with the people that work for them, they probably get a little bit more productivity out of their workers instead of, you know, feeling like they're getting taken advantage of. But I definitely agree with that. And I think the world would be a much better place. Nope. Well, we can only do it one one thing at a time, you know, and if uh you know, I I, I have a pie in the sky dream of um uh, getting bought out by some corporate entity, right? So I get my thirty five million. Then, then, then they open a Harborside Pizza from Maine to Miami and from okay. San Diego to Seattle and then all of across Alaska. But you focus on Coast Guard communities with a fishing port because Coast Guard communities are tight knit and fishing ports are, you know, you can stick with the Harborside theme of having it near harbors and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and as a, from a corporate entity, my whole corporate uh, spiel would be keep it local, keep the quality good, keep it small prepare, uh, you know, hire local, like I said, get people who are invested in your community locally. And then maybe you attune the menus to the local seafood and the local fare that they have there. And you can do that, uh, you know, all across pretty much up and down each coast if, if you wanted to. 
Now, how that's implemented, I have no idea. Like I said, I can barely even run the shop here in town, much less think about managing or uh, or selling out to a corporate entity. But that's what they have their researchers for. But it's that there would be a pie in the sky thing, and the only way I would ever do that is if you took care of your employees, you stayed with the agreement of good service, uh, good food, good manners, at a good price, and then I think you they would have a, a, the ability to be successful. But. It would have to be a Costco type of a, a place where you definitely took care of your employees as opposed to uh, taking advantage of your employees. That's awesome. I love that dream, you know. Right. Still got time to still got time to figure out the you know, the kinks and everything. But That's true. I, I love that. Maybe Shark Tank will get a get a get a, a whiff of it or something like that or Maybe one day Gary be able to pick me up too and get some investor. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I'm actually going to try to. I've never done it before, but I'm going to try to turn this interview into a podcast. So, you know, right you know maybe if the podcast blows up, someone from Shark Tank will, you know, see it. There we go. Yeah, well, you, never, you never gotta know. Gotta keep dreaming. You never know. You never yeah. know. But anyway, it was awesome talking. I want to give you an opportunity to shout out the business, let people know the address, where you're at. Obviously, you're closed now, but when you open back up, so people know. Yep. We're in uh, Cordova, Alaska. It's 131 Harbor Loop Road, down there by the Old Southville. Uh, yeah, if you ever are up in Cordova, Alaska, come and check me out for sure. Time is money. Underpaid clothing, baby. You know, yes. I like your merch. I like what you rep. Good, good job. And thank you for uh, being my friend. And asking me on i appreciate talking with you it's great thank you i appreciate it same to you yep yep